You're listening to Breakfast Bites, and I'm Felicia King. In today's show, we're going to talk about a number of security and privacy topics, uh, what's happening with hospital security, geofencing warrants, the dark side of smart cities, phishing attacks, what you can do about it. So let's get started. First off, let's start with the dark side of smart cities. I think this is probably quite relevant to everyone in our locale, considering the fact that there are these huge pushes for smart city this and smart city that. And I don't think anybody actually really, really knows what a smart city is. Uh, and, and I think there's a tremendous amount of misinformation out there about it. In fact, uh, there is no universal definition for what a smart city is. So uh, I'm going to post an article for you that kind of talks about the, the lighter side of what a smart city actually is because the I really don't have a whole lot of interest in the lighter side of smart cities because you know anybody who's been doing commercial or even residential building development for the last 20 years who wanted to do these processes economically, you know, making buildings more energy efficient and using things like LED lighting, uh, heat exchangers, I mean, you know, you name it, people were already doing that stuff. And it had nothing to do with, you know, smart cities. Uh, this concept of utilizing building controls management and the computer systems that do efficient and effective building controls management these things have been around for more than 20 years I mean this is not a new concept the thing that is the new stuff is the dark side of smart cities it is this intent to try to IOT or Internet of Things everything and to utilize the smart city in a hyper-connected way to track, surveil, monitor, geofence, geotag, RFID tag, Bluetooth tag, I mean you name it, it's called the totalitarian panopticon. And whether it's a matter of thinking about it in terms of pre-crime or um, you know crime deterrence or whatever it is it's still it's it's totalitarian panopticon and that is the dark side of smart cities I mean even in the grand scheme of things you just look at what they're trying to do from a residential perspective how badly do you need your refrigerator to talk to the internet you don't do you really want your refrigerator to talk to the internet? Did we need our refrigerators to be more complicated and more expensive to acquire and to repair because now they've got a computer in there that talks to the internet and the thing doesn't work right? If that process doesn't work right? I mean, I've spent a huge portion of my existence trying to deal with making horrifically programmed, uh, insecure, fundamentally insecure network-attached devices work while still trying to maintain some semblance of security. Uh, there are, literally, I can tell you that Tesla cars cannot securely connect to the Internet. 
uh, Tesla cars do so over what they think is secure, which is their own little little VPN connection. However, their little VPN connection only works if the connection that precedes that is 100% insecure. So it's just totally wide open. So, I mean, that's just a Tesla. And I can tell you about, uh, you know, of course, you, you know, all the baby monitors that, that have gotten hacked. Uh, printers are not secure in general. The vast majority of them are not. They're usually not set up securely, uh, not in an, a micro-segmented way. Most of the time, people don't even change the default admin password on their printers. They don't do firmware updates on them, and they're buying cheap models that are really easy to hack. Uh, and then you have thermometers, right? Thermometers that people want to put into places like organ donor centers or blood banks or all kinds of uh, locations where you would think critical, you know, think about it in terms of like critical infrastructure, healthcare, um, utility companies, etc. So these digital thermometers, these internet-connected thermometers that are on the market, I have yet to see one of them that is actually running secure code. And, and what I typically see is that they, there was never any point of design in these elements to where there's an update mechanism. So they all like phone home to the mothership on a regular basis. They all report back to this centralized reporting structure uh, for reporting what the uh, thermal data is at the time. However, there was no methodology built into these systems to then update the code on these thermometers to make sure that they are adhering to appropriate standards. So for example, when TLS 1.0 became deprecated and business class network security equipment uh, said, well, you know, TLS 1.0 is way hardcore, insecure, and old, and it's deprecated, so therefore we're going to mark all traffic that is attempting to utilize TLS 1.0 as insecure, then then these thermometers, these digital internet-connected IoT thermometers, they all failed to function. So what do you do? Do you put them on their own little isolated network VLAN? Or do you just open up bigger holes in your overall network strategy so that these devices that were just poorly programmed from the beginning because they have no update mechanism for their code, that they can now work? You know, I mean... This is the problem with most of the smart technology is I think there's all of this push for hyper-connecting everything with this drive to say, well, we want to have all this data because somehow if we have all of this data that we're going to be able to make more intelligent decisions that's going to lead to more efficiency. And like, you know, smart waste management. Okay, well, maybe. There needs to be more pushback that says, okay, you can actually only have smart if you can have secure and you can do these things in ways in which they are not violating the constitutional rights of the citizens of the United States, such as 
what's with ubiquitous surveillance combined with wireless access points everywhere, hence 5G wireless access points everywhere, with Bluetooth sensors, with RFID tracking, so that as you go anywhere and everywhere, they can track your little movement. You know, facial recognition everywhere. And all this talk about these, how smart cities in China have been uh, creating a very, very totalitarian situation, uh, this stuff is now available in the United States, and it's being coupled with effectively now the U.S. version of the social credit score. So the social credit score in China has been uh, the number one source of oppression for people. I mean, they can't get on airplanes, they can't take train rides, they uh, can't, they're banned from getting certain types of jobs, they're banned from getting loans, or they're banned from buying cars or getting hotel rooms. I mean, there's all kinds of things that these people are just being banned from being able to do because their social credit score is too low. Well, we're seeing the same thing now happen in the United States. Facebook, Twitter, etc. These are all coming together to create a social credit score where uh, Facebook, for example, is saying, well, you didn't exactly violate our terms of service on Facebook, but we were looking at your activities on other platforms or information you have, may have posted elsewhere. And so because of that, we don't like what you've posted elsewhere. So now we're going to block and ban your account on Facebook. You know, and there's been concerted efforts to share information amongst all the big tech companies for uh, what's called shadow banning a particular individual or an organization simultaneously across all platforms. Well, this is a form of social credit score. You're now banned from being able to have access to things because they simply just don't like your behavior. It doesn't fit with their paradigm, even though there's nothing that you're doing that is criminal. So uh, big tech is way past out of control. Uh, and all of this data collection, I, I think, is just a, it's just a source of massive amounts of problems. There are certain people that are trying to fight back and, and doing somewhat effectively. Another interesting article I saw was uh, there's a company that's come up with a, a shirt and a clothing line in general that uh, basically has fake license plates on it. It's kind of interesting. And it has been proven to fool the Big Brother surveillance by making you look like a car. So what all of you may not realize is that most of the cameras that are out there in the public are running things like facial recognition algorithms, and they're also running things like license plate recognition algorithms simultaneously. So a, so a camera is going to do something like look at what it's seeing and say, okay, well, that's a human, so therefore now I'm going to run the facial recognition processing algorithm on that. Uh, person and then track that person and then bring up all the analytics for that person. What is their social credit score, etc. Uh, and what's all the rest of the data where this person has been? When were when did they last? When were they last seen? Uh, and there's videos on this stuff on the internet. 
you know, if you don't believe me, go for it. There's um, the companies that make these people tracking systems, of course, have videos as to how their stuff works. And none of this is hidden. It's being very widely utilized. Well, these cameras are oftentimes also running license plate recognition technology. And so then with this particular clothing line, you wear this shirt and it has, you know, license plates on it. And so, so the camera can really only track you as an object as either a car or as a person. It's not doing it simultaneously, right? Because it can only really run the algorithm against that object uh, at that time. And so it says, oh, well, this is a car because it looks like a license plate. And so this has been found to be quite effective. Now, how long it's going to actually be effective, that's, well, that's up for debate. And uh, I'm going to post an article that is has got a couple really, really phenomenal videos on it. One of these videos shows uh, an example of the totalitarian surveillance that is existing in most of the major cities right now. And then another is uh, what they call Eyes in the Sky, uh, which is a system of extremely mega-high resolution cameras mounted to drones uh, and or uh, aerial basically blimps um, you know dirigibles and how these are providing uh, total surveillance all the time at extremely high resolution with extremely sophisticated object tracking and uh, yes, there is a good police um, capability with some of this technology, the, which I don't deny. The question is always, where does the line, where is the line? Who has access to that? Um, are they getting warrants to utilize the data for, um, you know, actual real criminal behavior investigation or is it being abused? I mean, I think the fundamental problem here is that there are no guidelines, there are no laws surrounding where the lines for this type of surveillance can and should be utilized so that there is an appropriate balance between uh, people having constitutional privacy uh, I mean, you know, let's say you happen to be in your backyard, you are on your property, you are in your backyard, and you're mowing your grass. Uh, don't you have a sense of privacy in your own backyard? I think you should. Uh, you know, just because you're outside, does that mean that you should be surveilled 24-7, 365? Uh, no. But this is actually what's happening in most of the big cities now, and I think very few people are talking about this. They don't know that it's going on. So that leads to the geofencing warrants topic, which is another article that I'll post. Uh, the geofencing warrants uh, is basically where uh, law enforcement is uh, providing a warrant to a technology company such as Google and says, we want to know... Uh, everything there is to know about um, either this phone number, the holder of the phone number, or this person. We want to know all of their phone numbers or, you know, whatever it is. It's a, uh, it, it's a request 
for all information for a specific user or a set of specific users driven based upon whatever attributes they have for those users, like, you know, give, give me everybody that has this first and, and last name, which could actually result in, you know, hundreds of different people. And then uh, because there's no, maybe law enforcement says, I'm looking for John Doe. Well, then Google's going to give them all the John Does, you know, so that's this dragnet aspect to it. But it's also the warrants, these geofencing warrants are so wide and so dragnet oriented that the data that's being given um, based upon these geofencing warrants is what all devices have you ever had, what IP addresses, where were you at, what was your geolocation data at the time, who did you have chats and messages with, with what was your browsing history, uh, what did you read, what videos did you watch, uh, what were the times of day that you were doing certain digital things, uh, did you use any voice recognition applications, and what were the recordings, so literally producing the recordings of those uh, you know, every time you use Siri or Cortana or anything like that that's a voice recognition sort of app, it is literally taking that and, uh, you know, and sending that to the voice recognition data processing server in the cloud, and these recordings are being retained. I mean, the terms and terms of service for all of these services are saying we are retaining this data because, uh, you know, it helps us make the analytics or make the voice recognition software more accurate, right? And, well, there is some validity to that. At the same time, how long are they retaining it? And, and then that becomes the problem. The other problem is who are they sending it to? And this was uh, another article that I covered recently, which was that Facebook was actually sending a lot of this data, this voice data, to external third parties to be processed. And a lot of the people that were working for these third-party companies became extremely uncomfortable with the content of doing transcription and because that's what they were doing is it was a matter of reviewing the captured audio, transcribing it as a human so that it could then be compared against what the AI had determined was the transcribed text. So these third-party companies were hired by Facebook to do this transcription. And, you know, what were, what were the parameters around... Uh, this data sharing was the fact that this data was being shared disclosed to the end users well the answer for that is absolutely no it was not and there's so much abuse of this data that goes on uh, that you just have to assume that anything and everything that this technology is doing quote for you is actually doing against you that it's literally creating a uh, a lifetime history record of you. Uh, there is a video, an internal video that Google made for their people, and it was it was about the the life history 
log. And it was around the uh, theory that, you know, there's genetics and then there's epigenetics. Well, they were saying, you know, look, we can come, we can predict human behavior if what we do is create a life history log on everyone because this then is effectively their digital epigenetics and then we can utilize that to predict future human behavior. So Google is literally doing this. They uh, have a life history log on everyone who's ever used any Google service ever. And uh, they're not deleting that data. They're not purging that data. Uh, even I think in GDPR perspectives, if you think you have a right to be forgotten, Google still maintains the right to retain whatever metadata it is that they want to retain. And there's so much of this data that they're collecting and, and utilizing that the lawmakers have no idea about what's actually going on and they have no oversight and there's no ability to gain insight into what's actually going on with it. So if you want to look on the internet or you could go out there, I think there's a YouTube video on it on this life history log. It was a video that was made only for internal confidential viewing by certain Google people. And it was just so creepy and horrific that somebody ended up leaking the video and putting it out there on the internet uh, because it is creepy and horrific. It's a, it's this idea of getting inside the minds of uh, humans and then utilizing AI to predict, you know, pre-crime and what is human behavior going to do? Uh, Facebook, of course, has been heavily invested in this with the, you know, a Analytica uh, scandal where they were putting data out to, uh, they were predicting what human behavior was going to be based upon what their AI said. So they said, okay, well, if we present this type of data in this way to Facebook users, then we're going to shift their behavior. Uh, this Facebook's been doing this for years. And I don't know why anybody even uses Facebook. I mean, Facebook is just such a horrifically evil, creepy company that has been caught countless times at this point uh, with misappropriating data, not doing things according to privacy, just doing evil human behavior addictive, manipulative things against Facebook users. Uh, and I mean, this is how they, they're driving. I mean, they've got, they've literally written publications that says we're going to drive people's addictions for social technology by doing things in certain ways. I mean, they've done studies on something as simple as colors on buttons and colors on, you know, like or dislike buttons that drive people's uh, mental endorphin responses in their brains around this feedback cycle of constantly being plugged in uh, to this social networking feedback loop. 
And uh, Elon Musk has also done some writings about this, we're t- saying that we're effectively all cyborgs now because if we are engaging in these social feedback loop mechanisms, then we're now plugged in so into that technology so much that we are a cyber extension of that. That I mean, if people are walking around with mobile devices all the time and they just can't stand to be without this mobile device, they're so hyper-connected all the time, this thing is now driving your human behavior. So uh, there's a very significant argument to be made for we're all cyborgs now, at least when you engage in that kind of behavior. Well, let's move on to uh, hospital horror stories. This was a really interesting discussion that was done in a very, very uh, confidential, anonymous way at the latest DEFCON 27 conference. And it was a, a presenter who had anonymously talked about how they went into 25 different hospitals around the United States as part of audits and configuration correction efforts, etc. So due to the sensitivity the nature of the talks, recordings were prohibited and um, people were not even supposed to be taking notes and so forth. I mean, it was really, it was very, very tight. And it was all about the horrors that were going on in major hospitals around around the United States still. And I say, I say still because none of this is new. I mean, these horror stories have been going on for years and years and years, and these hospitals are still not fixing their baloney. So, I mean, the number one problem was that DOS was still being used, Windows XP, Windows NT, Windows 95, and in a lot of cases, these types of systems are driving things like full CT body imaging scanners and um, I myself have personally worked on and have seen this equipment uh, and you know it's because the issues like GE who manufactures a lot of this equipment never bothers to update their stuff and part of the problem also is the companies that make things like uh, you know CT scanners in general whether it be companies like Gendex or GE whoever they are just dumb about their endpoint management. You know, they're they're utilizing systems like Windows that they they claim that if they make any changes to those systems at all, then it's going to invalidate the FDA certification of that particular system. So then they don't do any BIOS updates on the motherboard. Um, RAM may actually be malfunctioning. I've seen that firsthand. They don't update drivers. Uh, They don't patch the systems. They don't patch the supporting software on the systems. They don't want endpoint protection on the systems. And yet, and here's the big and yet bit, And yet they want this system to be internet accessible to them for remote support, of course. And so the whole thing is just horrifically insecure. uh, And it's, um, it really doesn't have to be that way. It really, really, really doesn't have to be that way. I have seen many of these systems firsthand. I've had to support them and work on them over a long period of times. And I can tell you irrefutably that in 99% of cases, 
these systems, there's really nothing that special about them. The only thing that you find special at all about most of these systems is strictly, okay, we need a graphics card that has this capability because we need to be able to render the CT slices or something like we need a special SCSI interface adapter because that's what interfaces uh, with the CT scanner and that's how we're going to get our DICOM data. Other than that, there's really nothing special about those systems, but because the companies that are putting those systems together are, uh, they apparently fail to hire someone of my level of skill to be able to design these systems, so then they have no mechanism, they have no plan for how to keep them updated, and they also punish the doctors and they punish the hospitals for wanting to keep these systems updated because they're like, no, no, Here's a, you know, we're going to give you the system that's Windows XP, and uh, no, you can't upgrade it. And if you even try to upgrade it, it's going to invalidate everything. And if you want a new system that's going to run a more modern operating system, it's, you know, there's another $6,000 you got to give us. You know, there's no, even though you're already paying them like six grand a year for whatever your maintenance plan is, no, 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 they want more money to just simply. Uh, change the operating system on it and they won't allow you to get your own system that matches the hardware specs. So the whole thing, it just, it's, it's a horror show of, of a situation. Uh, how it gets fixed, um, <laughs> I don't know. I think it would require maybe the government to put in some uh, changes in terms of regulations to say, look, you know, we have to actually put a focus on securing these systems instead of just locking them in stasis and then not patching them, but yet making them internet accessible for remote support. Well, that's it for today's show, and uh, talk to you next month.